You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Patrick Janelle is one of the Graham gods of NYC. Affectionately known as a guy named Patrick, this guy is the king of creating otherworldly experiences through the membership club called Spring Street Social Society that he co-founded with Amy Virginia Buchanan. Patrick is a strategist who effortlessly integrates marketing into his Spring Street events and Instagram feed. He also happened to create the app called Liquor Cabinet. Patrick and I snuck away to record this one Friday, where I sipped coffee in LA at 11 a.m. and he turned to wine since it was already the freaking weekend in NYC. Welcome. I'm so excited that you are here and that we're we're getting to do this. I feel a little bit nervous um, to dive into something so new, but also just so um, excited to get to work with you as someone who we've already collaborated in real life and also I met you on social media. So there's a very um, obvious crossover in my in my mind why you were one of the very first people that I asked if you would be a guest. So thanks so much for being here. Me, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So so tell me, I mean, when I, when I asked you about this and when I asked you about being on here... Um, is there anything that came to mind right away of something that you um, that you would love to to talk about? Are there things that sometimes you go to post online about something in your real life, and you're you sort of say to yourself, "This would just not translate," or "This is something that my followers or my my relationships wouldn't understand because it's so left field." Um, so I, I guess I have a really. I don't know if it's unusual or different, but I have like a, I kind of have a specific relationship with social media and that, um, so much about what I post, um, on Instagram, which is my largest, um, platform is really, it's honest. It came about because I, I have a visual design background and I love beautiful images and I love actually real life experiences that have, I love being able to capture real life experiences that to me are elevated in a way that is also visually stimulating. And I've never really had this desire to have, like I've never really felt that like what I post online is like like fake and that there, or, or even that like this is just a thing that I do for work and that there's actually something else there that like I don't wanna show people. Not to, not to say that even that is an inauthentic thing to do. I think it's totally fine if people have like a specific thing that they wanna show like the world, the public, and then a part of their lives that they don't. I mean, but for me, it's like the thing that I love so much is about creating. And I love actually being able to show my part of my creativity is like both the things that I choose to do with my time and the places that I push myself to go and the beautiful things that I surround myself with. And then being able to document and that in a way that's also kind of like aspirational that people are excited to like also want to do or see or experience um, obviously there are things that I don't show, like, I'm not going to show my, like my dirty kitchen sink, but it's also like, not, I don't not show it because I, one, am like afraid for people to see it or because I like, don't want to show that side of myself. It's like also not the thing that I, like I strive in my everyday life to make even my kitchen sink beautiful. I want everything in my life to be beautiful. So in some ways, the things that I post on social media are like my own aspirations to like create the life that I, that I want to lead. 
Hmm. So it's when I'm not showing things online, like certainly I'm in a relationship right now and I've been very sort of like, I've been tiptoeing into showing my boyfriend and my Instagram feed, but it's, it's less of a, like, uh, like I want that part of my life to be private, whereas the rest of it is public. It's more that, well, and I guess, I mean, ultimately that is some part of it, but it's definitely that I'm, I want it to be certain. I want it to be like the thing that, that is like very solid. And then once it's solid and like, we've, I don't want, I don't want to like expose somebody else to something that then might like whip them around in a weird way. So I want it to be like solid and comfortable. And then like at that point, uh, I'm more than happy to talk about it because I think it is a beautiful part of my life. I do think that there are like things in my life that people may not know about me. The fact that I can be a little like, I can push boundaries. I can be a little crazy. Like I've been known to get up on a table and start dancing when I've had a few drinks or even when I've not had a few drinks. Um, and <laughs> I may or may not have seen you run naked across the bridge at unique camp. That also, yeah, <laughs> you know, firsthand the things about <laughs> me that like, I'm totally willing to like take a little bit of a jump and do something that is a little bit crazy. And I love that. And I'm actually not afraid to document that. I think that most often, if I don't document it, I just feel like I'm not able to capture the actual feeling that it exhibits in real life. If somebody were to take, if you were to take a photo of me, Caroline, while I'm like running across the bridge naked, and I didn't feel like it was, you know, too revealing so that I would like my account would be deleted. Um, I would be so happy. I would actually be so happy to, to like document that side of my life. I think sometimes it's like when I'm on a table dancing or like on a bar of a like vacation home <laughs> dancing with my friends, I'm totally fine if that's documented. The thing is like in my mind, the way it's documented to like create the feeling of what I'm actually experiencing is like something that would have to be a photo production because it would be like the lighting would have to be right. And like, the accessories around me. I don't know. Like I'm, uh, I feel like I love being able to document anything. I just want it to look as beautiful in an image as it does in my mind. So maybe I'm like shielding myself from the truth in some way, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it looked pretty beautiful when you were running across the bridge. And I just think after this podcast, you know, plays out, we need to start a campaign. That's like free the penis or something. <laughs> I'm, I am totally all about freeing the penis. Totally fine with me. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. I mean, what is what is a body, Patrick? What is nudity? Okay, that's you know, I think for a long time I had like very somewhat of a fraught relationship with like nudity and with sexuality. Um right now I don't mind getting naked. I don't mind going to a nude beach. I am gay, I'm totally fine with my sexuality. Um, but I grew up in a very like conservative Christian household where like um, nudity was a thing to be sort of like, uh, nudity was a thing that was a very sensitive topic and almost like you don't even talk about like a human body, right? You just, you're always clothed properly. And like, that's, there's no discussion. Um, so did you grow up in a red state? Um, well, I grew up in Colorado. So it kind of was like, not, it, it kind of like goes back and forth. There are definitely, there are definitely pockets of Colorado that are like super conservative. Um, and like very evangelical, um, very, you know, a Protestant Christian. And then there are parts of the state which are like more liberal. Um, it's, and it kind of like goes back and forth. Um, but definitely the world that I grew up in was, um, was, yeah, was very conservative. 
um, religious, like um, socially, politically, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Wow. So, so then growing up in a family where um, it was kind of, you know, you don't, you're not in a room. Do you have siblings or was it like, you're not in a room, you don't change in front of your siblings. Like you never see like that. I I had two brothers. So it was like really less of a question, I think with boys, but like, uh, yeah, like even that, like, no, there was certainly not a lot of, um, yeah, it was, it was like a house filled with, with propriety. Um, Mm. it was very like, um, it, well, even to the extent of like how we dealt with relationships, like, I grew up in an era in which you may know of the popularity of a book titled I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, and I've the, heard of it, <laughs> you know, um, and even, even the idea of like how you relate with a person of the opposite sex is some, is a way in which like you get married after having hung out in a group with a bunch of people and sort of being interested in one person. And then you're like courting a person by like, not actually going on dates with them, just like being around with them in groups and then you get engaged and then you get married. Like seemingly if, 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 if if people, if like humans were perfect in a way that you could control a person, their emotions and their like physiology by putting constraints on them, then sure. That seems like a great idea, but obviously we don't live in a world in which that's the case. And so there's no world in which that actually like makes sense. Um, but I will say for me, it was, it was like a, it was a shield because, you know, I grew up, uh, for the most part, knowing that I was gay and not having a girlfriend wasn't like a red flag to anybody. Um, I'm sure there were plenty of other red flags, but, um, (laughs) that's so interesting. I was just going to ask how, how old were you when you realized, um, you know, when you, when you got to know that you were gay and, um, I've never heard anyone say before that, that that is kind of a shield. If you would have grown, if you grow up in a culture where, you know, suddenly you're like 16 and you've never had a girlfriend and everyone's like, what is wrong with him? But in this, in, in that culture, it would have been more like, he's so good. He's so pure. So Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, and I like had, um, I was like, I was like on the, on the worship team and I was student council president. And I mean, all, honestly, all signs of point towards gay, but even in Christian circles. <laughs> um, I also was like <laughs> decorating wedding cakes for friends when I was in high school. So yeah, another clear sign. But at the same time, it wasn't such this weird world where like the fact that you don't acknowledge sexuality, whether it's heterosexuality, homosexuality, or even like the, the, the bodies, like the, uh, the sexuality of a body of a human body. Um, those things didn't really like fully register with everyone. Um, and so, yeah, the fact that I never had a girlfriend um, was just like, oh, even if it wasn't like outright spoken, it was just sort of like understood like, oh, Patrick is, it's fine. Like we, he's doing, he's doing this in the way that like we, that kind of like is like the utmost correct version of what we've sort of been thinking is right. Um, he's going to have his first kiss on his wedding day. What? What's he's going to have his first kiss on his wedding day. Exactly. And he'll be so, and we're so proud of him for that. But, you know, it is weird because it's not like we, it's not like everybody in, like there were people in high school that like had boyfriends and girlfriends and it was fine. Like we didn't necessarily, but there was like that, there was like that sense that like, you're kind of like doing it a little bit better if you're, if you're like waiting till you're married and waiting until you're like courting. 
very bizarre, <laughs> very bizarre world. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. So ta- tell me more about that because, um, yeah, I'm already so loving this because it's, it's like I, I go into these just not really knowing where it's going to go. And I'm already like, ooh, this is so cool. I love this. And the idea that um, in in certain parts of America especially, but I think the world, um, there is kind of this culture that says sexuality isn't even a thing. Um, like we we repress it or suppress it or ignore it or – you know, whatever it is so much that, um, that there isn't even a space to be like, Hey, I might be gay. Cause it's just like, no, you don't even, you're asexual. Like, what are you talking about? There is no such thing as, um, there almost is no such thing as even being hetero, much less being gay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean like you just, yeah, you don't acknowledge it to a point like sex is kind of removed from the idea of how, um, like sex in terms of like the act of having sex or sexuality is removed from, from the way that you actually think about like human interaction. Even when you're thinking about, I mean, even when you're thinking about like to like a man and a woman getting married, you, you like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's totally removed from this idea of like, of sexuality. Um, and it makes, it makes talking about any of that, like very, um, like very hard to do, or like you, you just like don't do it. Although at the same time, I will say, um, sort of 180. I also was part of when I was in high school. I was part of a group called Teen Advisors, um, in which we actually, when I was in high school, we did talk fairly explicitly not about sexual acts, but about like sexual abstinence. So I guess the lack of sexual acts. Um, <laughs> We, there was like a, there was like a pregnancy center that like, I'm sure many in my circles now would be, um, ab- be abhorred by because it was essentially like the, like the opposition to Planned Parenthood where, um, girls, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't know like all of the ins and outs of like who was there and who was working there. All I know is that it was a pregnancy center that promoted, um, you know, having babies and adoption versus abortion. And, um, there was one little corner of it in which I participated with some other high schoolers from, you know, from churches around town in which we would actually have meetings to talk about how we would, um, essentially like proselytize in the sense of abstinence, like promoting abstinence. And we would then go into schools and as a part of their sex ed course, we would present one day, um, on sexual abstinence as a form of, um, you know, the prevention of, any, you know, myriad horrors such as pregnancy or STDs. Um, so I was very, yeah, I was like actually pretty involved in like that when I was in high school, like actually the opposite of, of being sort of like reticent to talk about these things to specifically, like not only is like purity a good thing, but like specifically abstinence and, um, not, not participating in sex until you're married and, um, and in a very, yeah, in a very kind of like strong way, which is also weird because like then me being gay was this thing that like, e- like gay sex didn't even, didn't even like enter into that conversation at all. So I was sort of like removed on the one hand, I was like, I'm waiting until I'm married. But on the other hand, I'm like, but I'm also just never having sex with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Gold okay. star. But there wasn't, there wasn't the caveat that like, I'm waiting until I'm married but I can, but I will have 
gay sex when I feel like it. Although at the time I like certainly was not, I was not comfortable being gay. I did not want to be gay. I believe that at a certain point that I could, um, make some sort of like spiritual, um, switch into somehow overcoming being gay was like the, the place that I was at at that time. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so when you're, you know, when you're standing in a classroom teaching abstinence and talking about all of these things that, you know, I would assume you don't subscribe to at this point in your life, um, what, what was going through your mind or do you remember even an over, an overarching feeling or kind of like, did you buy in? Was it, was it, was it something that you totally thought was real and true in the moment or um, were you there kind of being like, this is so weird or, or something to that effect? Definitely. So I don't, I no longer subscribe to, to those ideas. Um, I, at the time, I don't want to assume. Or well, no, I, no, I appreciate that because I, yeah, I, I wouldn't either. Um, but no, I've, I'm definitely, my, my belief structure is um, pretty much completely different, like 180 degrees from where I used to be, but um, like religiously and um, sort of spiritually and with these sort of like social constructs. But um, no, at the, at the time I fully believed it. Um, I think the thing I did feel a little bit like a hypocrite only because I always felt like a hypocrite in the sense that there was this like, this like seed inside of me that was totally opposed, like me knowing that I'm attracted to men. Like I wouldn't even use the term gay at that point. It was like, I have this attraction to men. Um, knowing that that was somehow present as a part of who I was or my life or, you know, a temptation as I thought of it. Um, and yet everything else in my life was directed in the opposite, um, the opposite way in terms of, um, believing that was wrong. Um, sexual abstinence, um, believing in all of the construct of Jesus Christ as my savior and leading worship team and um, asking to be forgiven for sins and yet feeling like there was this unshakable thing that I wasn't ever able to get rid of that was so contrary to all of those things. That was, so it was less of a like um, me standing in front of a classroom being like, I don't believe this or even I'm saying it, but don't totally vibe with it. It was really like, there's something foundational about me that is totally contrary to all of these things. And so therefore I feel like a bit of a hypocrite, but in this moment, standing up in front of a classroom, I like fully, fully embraced what I was saying. Mm, wow. So then at what point or what age was it that you started to, I guess, verbalize whether outside or to yourself, you know, I'm gay. Um, and what was it like to come to that community that you had grown up with, um, with that sort of jarring news, I would assume? Um, well, it wasn't until probably it was like 20, I was at least 21, um, when it just was like this thing that for, I probably knew for sure that like the idea of being gay and what that meant for me, um, and that that was part of me was probably, I came to that realization when I was like 14 or 15. So between that point and when I was 21, um, it was this constant thing that was like something I was sort of pushing aside, um, and ignoring. And then I came out in the sense that I, um, uh, I finally decided I was like, this is, I've been trying to fight this for so long and it's not really working. So 
why don't I actually like explore it and see, see what this means. And so that's like the first time that I kissed a guy. Um, and you were 20, you were like 21 at that point. 21. Wow. Okay. And, and things quickly escalated. It didn't stop at kissing, but um, (laughs) (laughs) at least, uh, it did, it did the first time, but, um, but then, but it really was like, then, then it became this thing where I, I was just talking about this sort of like seed of a thing that felt like it was foundational to me and yet was contrary to everything else. That seed then became more, more prominent. And it became more foundational and actually more real than anything else that I feel like I had ever experienced. And so in just the sense that like this, something that's so sort of like physical, like manifests itself so physically in me, I, I, as much as I would have loved growing up to say that, like, I had had physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit or of, of, of the way that, uh, Jesus Christ made me feel from, you know, redeeming me, whatever, all these things, which I fully embraced at the time still did not have that, like that tangible, um, sort of expression in me and my sexuality did. And so that just led me down a path of like really coming to terms with the fact that like, honestly, the thing that I knew without a doubt, unconditionally, which are terms that you would use when, being born again, you know, without a doubt that, you know, that's what X, Y, or Z, um, truly the things that I knew without a doubt were that like, I was like attracted to men and derived pleasure from being with men. And, uh, and for years I had tried to fight it and that wasn't, it wasn't happening. So that was, I think when the shift kind of began to happen for me of like, what does it mean to be gay? And uh, is that who I am? And is that okay? And, 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 and honestly, that also, kind of put into motion, um, me questioning pretty much everything about the, the foundation of what I believed. Um, and not a way that actually caused me too much harm. It just, it sort of like, I was willing to kind of accept things that I did know and, and understand and the things that were less knowable and understood. Um, it didn't really matter to me as much if, if those were part of my belief structure. Um, I never really had the moment where I had, I I kind of had the moment where I came out to my parents, but it was a long drawn out situation because even when I wasn't out, they, they knew of these things that I was dealing with. Um, it was actually a frequent conversation with my parents, um, much to their credit, even though, um, even though I think it was hard for all of us, at least there was open, there were open lines of communication. Um, but I, I kind of just like never really, I like let my life at this point, I was like living away and I moved to California and I moved to Germany and I was living in Florida and eventually moved to New York. Um, and during that whole period of time, like I had boyfriends and I had, um, uh, well, I got married at one point. Um, Whoa, I didn't know that. (laughs) Um, to a, to a guy. Um, and where, when? We can tell me, but, um, basically I just sort of let everybody find out through the grapevine and honestly like had very, from the relationships that I've had with people from my high school and church life growing up have been super positive. So I've never really felt like there was any sort of huge backlash towards me personally. Um, I also didn't have to deal with anybody like in person, um, or their reactions in person or, or in their own personal moments about how they felt about me versus, um, my sexuality. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like all of that is, um, is rendered itself very dramatically, which I'm totally fine with. Mm, okay. So 
Um, so you never had a moment where where it was like, okay, I need to sit everybody down and tell them, and you know they're going to be shocked and go through disappointment. It was. I mean, I had to I had to sit down a couple like a couple of friends, um, but yeah, again, like my parents, it was more of a it was more of a sort of like unfolding of layers over the years, um, and so were they at your wedding? Well, okay. So the wedding was, the wedding was in Germany and I had moved there with my ex who's French and we got married in the town hall so that we could stay together and we could live together because he had been, um, he had lost his visa in the United States and had to move back to Europe. And, um, and so I went with him. So it was, there wasn't actually like a big ceremony. It was the two of us and, um, and his best friend. Um, and so we were married. Um, and then after we broke up several years, three years later, um, we got a divorce, but it was, it was less of a kind of like momentous occasion surrounded by, you know, friends and guests and witnesses and stuff like that. Okay. Got it. So we're not talking like a huge, a huge thing with lots and lots of friends. And I was going to say, yeah, I would not that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm married to a foreigner. I know all about immigration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, it's um, it's it's such a thing. Um, and actually, what's interesting is that at that time, I was living in California. It was 2008, and um, Prop 8 had just passed. Now I, I get I was less confused at the time, but Prop 8 uh, by passing Prop 8 it discontinued the legalization of gay marriage in California. Um, and we, so we were fighting against prop eight at the time. Um, but still that was in within California and federally gay marriage was not recognized. Now we live in a time when like, actually we probably would have stayed in California and gotten married in Los Angeles. And, um, my ex Benjamin would have gotten a visa uh, through marriage in the United States. But as it turned out, we, we couldn't do that. So we, we did that abroad in Germany where it was actually possible. Wow. It's so amazing to think that that was less than 10 years ago. And yet the world is changing so much so fast that yeah, yeah. Like your entire reality could be totally different because of that now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So marriage, that was the thing. So did you tell your parents after you got married or or even before you got married, this is happening. Were they already aware? Like, how is it now? How are you? I guess that's a lot of questions in one. But when you come from from a culture that is so, you know, abstinence and purity and, and you know, even, I mean, going back to how we even got into this conversation is all about modesty. And when it's like, don't even look, don't even be in a room with someone who's naked unless it's your you know, husband or wife, because obviously you're in a hetero marriage. When that is what you come from, then all of a sudden getting married to a man and everything else that's was going on through your kind of deconstruction process. Um, yeah. How did that, how did that go? And, and how is it now? Well, you know, to the credit of my parents, they've always been um, first and foremost, very loving of me. And whereas they haven't always agreed with my decisions or even, or understood the the situations in which I found myself. Um, ultimately, it was most important to them that they that they maintained um, the relationship. Uh, they maintained our relationship, and um, you know, I think it was helped by the fact that even early on, when we were both on the same side of the issue of like 
being gay is wrong and like you can change. Um, it's a sin and we just like God needs to help. Like we were on the same side of the issue and yet at the same time, it still was not swept under the rug, which is something I feel like happens all the time is like people just don't acknowledge it. Like parents or relatives um, just like don't even, it, they don't want to believe it. And so they don't, uh, they don't acknowledge it. Whereas um, there were many times when like, uh, I mean, this, and by the way, um, this all manifested itself when I was in high school by looking at gay porn, right? Like I had a family computer. This is like the late nineties. Um, I have access to this, not like as readily as maybe somebody would now on their, on their like personal mobile device. But, um, so that was the way that like my temptation was like looking at gay porn and like every once in a while, my mom would confront me and be like, so how's it going? Like, have you been you know, have you looked at anything you shouldn't have? And like, almost always I would like break down and cry. And yes, cause I was like a horny teenager. Of course I was like sneaking into the family computer and looking at porn. Um, oh, but so she, so she knew back then, did she ever say it? Did she ever say it explicitly? Like I looked at the history of the browser. Well, that's how, that's how it was first found out. Um, well, although I, I was good enough to delete history of the browser, but I didn't understand cookies at that time. And my mom was very tech savvy and she wasn't like digging for family secrets, but she did. She was probably looking for some recipe she was trying to find and somehow found cookies and then saw that there was a <laughs> gay porn that was registered there. Those aren't Darn her, those cookies. aren't her blueberry muffins. <laughs> Darn cookies ruining everything. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah. So that kind of opened up a larger conversation ongoing of like, what's going on? What am I dealing with? What does this mean? How do I want to handle it? How do they want to handle it? How do we together? What, what support do I need? Very like loving, but at the same time, like terror, terror, uh, terrifying for me. Um, because ultimately I was had this thing that also like I kept repeatedly sort of like somehow participating in and then constantly having to like repent and like be, um, anguished about, um, but all that to say that when it did come time for me to be like, Hey, I'm just like, I'm not fighting this anymore. Like that was the conversation. It wasn't like, by the way, I like men or I'm gay that had already been like established a long time ago. So, um, but at the same time, like, I don't know, to be honest, I, I, uh, it's been a while since I've talked about this with my parents and, um, I know that they love the person who I've chosen to love in my life. Um, they are supportive of me as a human. I have no idea how this all renders morally for them. Um, but I don't know. It, it doesn't, I, honestly, it doesn't really matter too much to me. Yeah. But that's so, that's so beautiful that, um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of, of my friends tell me about their stories about coming out and, you know, yours is, is definitely very affirming. And, um, I mean, I'm sure your own process, you've had different things that you've had to deal with and, um, different relational dynamics with them and with others that you've had to work through, but at least just knowing you're loved and accepted and, um, accepted wholly for who you are is in my mind, that's the most I could ever hope for from my parents. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, I think that like, my parents are smart people and I trust them. And I like, I also am smart enough to understand that they are not perfect and they deal with their own things. I mean, there was definitely a time when like I was given an ultimatum that I had to like either like move out of my parents' house. This is when I was like back 
from a semester in college. And my mom was like, like tearfully was like, you need to either leave or like stop, you know, like going out late at night and, you know, meeting people. But at the same time she would, I mean, honestly, she probably would have felt the same way if it was, if I was doing anything related to like nightlife late at night, meeting people who knows what I was doing. Like, you know, it's at a, it's at a point when like a mother, when it's like thrown in her face, like she doesn't, she doesn't want to have to uh, deal with that. So I was like reasonable. I'm 21. I should move out um, and do, and do my own thing. But, um, yeah. And, and there were definitely some, there have been very many tearful moments, but at the same time, like I, I had no, like no doubt, um, that there's, that my parents love me. That's amazing. That's, that's so amazing. Um, yeah, that's really good. And what about, what about your brothers? Are either of your brothers still, um, very involved in, the, I guess the community that you grew up with, whether it's in Colorado or just the, the type of the lifestyle of, um, I guess, what were you calling it? Like fairly evangelical Christian? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that my, my whole family is still Christian, um, and kind of participates in their own various ways. Um, you know, the, the type of church that they go to, um, maybe less conservative than like the type of church that we grew up in. But obviously I think, well, not obviously, but I do think that that is, um, is very important, like, um, uh, religion and spirituality, um, based on like biblical beliefs is very important to my whole family. Um, I've had my share of going through like issues with, with my siblings too, just in terms of like how they view things too. Um, but, but ultimately, uh, I feel like I feel also supported and I, I have a great relationship with, with, um, both, both of my brothers and their wives, um, and their families. Um, and so, yeah. So whereas there was, you know, there were moments I think where, where there was difficulty, you know, kind of like understanding, um, where we were coming from or where I was coming from and in, in, in this world, um, that, that was the case. But ultimately I think it's, I've, I'm very fortunate that, um, that it's been, it's been a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so let's say, um, you know, someone comes to you and says either Patrick, I grew up in this super conservative community or culture and, um, either I'm gay or there's something that I, that I have to kind of tell everyone about that is going to be it's going to be jarring to their belief systems and their values. Um, do you have any sort of, I guess, like coaching or even just like things that, that worked for you, even about how you went into it in your own mindset? Um, you know, like any sort of don't take things personally or anything that, that has supported you as you've navigated your own decade of kind of processing this? You know, um, I, well, one, it is hard for me because I do feel really lucky that things were made not too difficult for me. But at the same time, I think that my, um, my outlook on life and on being a human is that I really take, I really take my own existence and my own, um, my own future, uh, in my own hands. And I don't, I, I believe that for anybody, whether it's dealing with something like this, where it's like a huge shock to a community of people or, a, or you know, a, a, a family or extended family, or whether it's just sort of like continuing to like make it 
on your own in a city that feels isolating and feels thankless and, um, and isn't always, um, rewarding you for like the hard work that you put into it. Like those are I, two different situations, but in my mind, all of it has to do with like understanding that ultimately only you can, only you can create the, the world for which you want to, you want to flourish in. And it's about having, it's about having self-worth and self-confidence and knowing that, um, that you are valuable because of, you know, the, the beautiful human that you are and we all are and finding the, finding the things that truly do make you happy and like make you, um, make you really flourish. And honestly, like cutting out the things that, that, um, cutting out the things out of your life that, that aren't going to be like that positive, those positive values for you. That doesn't mean that like, if there's, unfortunately there are plenty of families who make it very hard on, on friends, um, of mine to, to be gay. Um, you know, it's, it's about also, I think it's important to understand that everybody around you also deals with their own sort of like insecurities and inability to, um, to like recognize what is, what is truth and what is, um, and ultimately like what affects and hurts other people. Um, and also so much of what we do is a reaction to our own insecurity. Mm. So it's, so it's, yeah, that's a big one. You know, I, I, yeah, I feel like so often the things that affect us most are actually things that people are doing because they're shielding themselves. And if we can realize that we both have to like take ownership of our own lives, but also give, you know, give grace to other people for not being perfect. Um, I think those are things that are easier said than done, but important. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's really, that's really beautiful. Um, it reminds me of, um, often if I'm, if I'm frustrated with someone and what they're doing, um, and I'm venting to Jaden about it, um, I sometimes will, you know, be like, Oh, how is it that this, how is it that they think this is okay? Blah, 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 venting. And then sometimes he'll just call me be like, okay, so what is it about this situation that's triggering something that's already in you? Like, what is, what is, what is this bringing up in you that has to do with your own baggage basically? And, um, and usually I get really mad at him for saying that, but then when I get a second to just take a deep breath and think about it, um, it's true. It's, it always is something to do with my own, um, I'm shielding myself, um, or it's triggering something in me that I do. And I'm mad that someone else is doing it. Um, it's kind of like, I've heard people say like, you spot it, you got it. Um, and so sometimes when I find myself being afraid or, um, being kind of, um, what's the word intimidated by someone else's, um, life choices, it's, it's a good chance to stop and basically just like worry about myself. Um, cause like you said, we really only have control over our own choices and over ourselves. And even then sometimes control is an illusion that isn't real at all. Well, I think, but that's true. Like what, I mean, ultimately I, I have to do that even with people that I like love and am, and am, uh, in close relationships with, like, sometimes I just have to be like, what do I, how do I, how do I make this, uh, a, a good decision for me? And sometimes that's, 
sometimes that's like a decision about humility and just being like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I can't always just like hold up the, the like righteous card. Like even if you were right or even, I also have this, I also have this belief about like what being right and, and like what the truth is like, sure. There's in some senses an objective truth, but there's also, there's also so many, so many versions of what the truth is because everybody has their own, um, way of approaching a thing. And sometimes you just have to like, let your, um, uh, you have to be willing to, to not think that despite all of the, um, despite all of the, uh, all of the markers around you think showing that you're right. Um, you have to be willing to, to say like, maybe, maybe I'm not right. Or even if I am right, like in order to make this a better situation, um, I'm just going to like lay, like lay this down. There are also uh, times not to do that. I'm a very like just person <laughs> and I will be, I will be very adamant about sticking up for myself when I know that, uh, when there's something that it, in which I was wronged or a situation was wrong. Um, so I'm like not afraid to do that, but I think especially in the, in, especially in the relationships that you care most deeply about, like you have to be willing to say like, well, what's more important? Is it preserving the relationship or is it just making sure that like, um, everybody recognizes, you know, my, my plight or that I was right or, you know, that, you know, what, that, that we all see it the same way. Mm. Yeah. I, I really love that. Um, I love that, that there's kind of, it feels like we've gone from, you know, talking about running across a bridge naked to, to this and it feels really um, affirming and also just I love that you are someone that I met online and had a relationship with in in the feed of beauty like you were talking about where you do genuinely try to create beautiful surroundings around you but then as a photographer um, who's constantly taking photos you know with your phone and with my phone and with my real camera um, there is a way of, of looking at things that's also like I don't, I don't necessarily want to post this unless it looks as good as it could, which means that there is an element of control involved and there is an element of, um, choice, I guess, is what I hear a lot. I keep, that's what I'm hearing coming back a lot is, is choosing and choosing, choosing when, when it's time to talk about certain things online, choosing when it's time to talk about people around you, um, about things that matter to you choosing how I respond, choosing how, um, I take responsibility for cer certain things. And, um, that to me is something that is like choice. We're always, always choosing, even when we think we aren't choosing, we are. And so remembering that and then reminding myself to intentionally choose so that I don't just end up in a spot where by default, all of a sudden I've, I've been handed results that I didn't actually mean to get, but i I didn't choose something else. So it's kind of like, if you don't, if I don't intentionally create a week that looks this way, if I don't intentionally start recording my podcast, um, if I don't, you know, do my laundry, it's not that I'm choosing to have dirty laundry. It's that I wasn't intentional in choosing something else. So I just get handed the result. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's what I'm hearing in a lot of what you're saying. And if I'm interpreting it all wrong, then <laughs> you can, you can call me out on that. I mean, I think that the, the thing about, um, 
I think that there's a, it's a really good point about choosing what, uh, choosing what you're showing, choosing what you're doing. Um, and I think that kind of, I think to kind of like draw a parallel between what I'm talking about in terms of dealing with personal relationships, like people who are super close to you and understanding that you don't always see the full picture and therefore choosing to, to sort of like take a step back and to compromise or what, whatnot. I think that the parallel I would draw with that and like how we are approaching social media is, um, you know, I, my reality is the things that I'm, that I'm posting online. And sometimes it's done in a way that I'm being very sort of like systematic because I have a brand to create and to protect. But at the same time, like I also, it's, it's this came from a place where it, it sort of like emanated from me, the things that I wanted to create. And therefore that's why I have this platform to begin with. And so I think that it's, it's worth understanding that when you're looking at somebody else in the same way that you look at, um, you know, person in a, a close personal relationship is understanding that like, there's so many layers of why somebody is posting what they're posting or why they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, I think that this conversation about like who you are online and what else is there, I think is really interesting because it's, it's, it is going to differ for every single person. And I, uh, I, I find it increasingly more and more important to, to take everything that I see, uh, I, everything that I see that other people are creating and posting sort of at face value. Like I don't ever knowing that like, that's not all that exists in my life. The things that I post, I also recognize that all that it's that, that what somebody else is posting is all that exists in their life. And I think it's really worth just sort of like being, um, almost being gracious with like what, how we view other people, because I think it's so easy to just be like, either like be judgmental of somebody because all we see from them are like a certain type of post or, um, feel jealous because we see somebody's life like, you know, unfolding in a certain way. And I think that it's really just important to be, um, and to be humble and gracious and say, like, I don't actually know fully what this other person is, is intending. I'm, I, and I'm going to take this one thing at face value that it's a beautiful thing or that like, or equally like that, I don't really care about this thing. And so therefore I'm not going to pay attention to it. Um, mm. but without like, sort of like layers of, of other judgment, I guess. Well, yeah. And I, and on that note of what you're saying about assuming that there's more than what's being shown. I think, you know, you live in New York City. I live in LA. We live in kind of bubble worlds where we are constantly going to the events that are getting Instagrammed the most. We are constantly going to the product launches and the brand collaborations and all of these things that we see what what things look like in reality. And then we also see what everyone posts online. And so for me, like that's ob like yes I, that is obvious to me i'm like 100% i know so many people who are air quotes famous online and um you know who i also know what their daily life looks like i know what their you know mental health is like i know what their eating habits are like because they're my friends and they're my colleagues and i'm i'm with them in the flesh and in real life on a regular basis and then on the other hand um i have friends and family and colleagues all over the world that don't live in LA and New York City. And I don't, I don't actually think it's something that 
they are as aware of. I think that for them, um, because they're not seeing it with their real eyes and then seeing the results online and getting to make their own judgment about compare and contrast, um, they're kind of just going, oh, that's that's their life. That's Patrick's life. Like Patrick really wears robes on ski slopes all the time in Aspen. <laughs> well, it's true. I do always. <laughs> I mean, I think it's hot. Um, but some people genuinely are like, wow, how did that person get to have that life that's so perfect and glamorous all the time? Um, and so that's part of my motivation in in these conversations is really kind of um, being the bridge. Not that I, not that, you know, if you want to start calling me the bridge, that's fine. But I don't really want that to be like my my label in that in any sort of way. But I do love that this conversation is so much more than what I would get if I just looked at your feed. Um, and, you know, even when I knew you online for a few years and then we started to be in more constant connection with um, Spring Street stuff in L.A. and having beach days and getting to actually spend more time with you, um, all of a sudden you were the like you were so multidimensional all of a sudden. And it was like, oh, I know what your sense of humor is like and I know – that when we start having real conversations, these sorts of topics are going to come up. And, um, you know, I, I mean, your feed is stunning and what the content that you create is absolutely divine, but it's not all that you are. Totally. That's true. Um, and yeah, and I really appreciate the, I really appreciate the exploration of, of what is behind, you know, somebody that's able to, to create a kind of like world for themselves on social media. I'm curious because I, you know, I will say, um, it's also interesting the people that you think might have a lot to say and don't. Yep. Yep. Like, I think that's an interesting, um, uh, an interesting concept, which again, sort of like, I just want to take things at face value. I don't want to put, I, I don't want to read too much into a thing until I actually do know some, somebody, but, um, I don't know. Do you feel like you'll like, do you feel like you'll, um, interact with people that will, you maybe thought how to put this delicately, you thought that maybe would be more dynamic based on what you see online and then having a personal conversation with them, um, is not like that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I think that that's, that's one thing that, um, I would love to have an actual um, psychologist on. I know there's a, a fairly new, I don't want to say phenomenon, but it's kind of a reality where people who are so known online almost disassociate their reality with reality and their reality does become online. And it's, it's, a, it's an actual like neurological reality that happens. And so I think that's something that I'm really curious about and maybe I'll just have a psychologist on here that to actually talk about that because I think that whether it's in someone's own brain of kind of watching their life as if it's a feed, you know, like from reality television where you just kind of start to imagine that there's a, a camera in the in the room at all times when obviously there isn't, or whether it's something that that some people are just a little bit more surface level. And sometimes I think that could be because of their own personal, like we were talking about before, it's their own, their own hangups. It's their own fears or they're maybe anxious or intimidated. And, 
it's a lot easier to ignore the tendencies that they might have to dig at things and to ask the hard questions and to kind of pick at things and see what happens. And and I guess it takes a really certain kind of person who's brave enough to say, if I pick at this or if I go a little deeper and it falls apart, am I going to be okay putting it back together? Mm-hmm. Like not everyone wants that. Some people, I mean, I know so many people who are in long-term relationships and they're not happy or fulfilled, but for them, it's a lot easier to just kind of like not rock the boat rather than starting to speak up and say, my needs aren't being met. Are yours being met? How can we make this better for us? Or I'm going to walk away. They just sort of keep their mouth shut and say like, it's easier not to, it's easier not to pick at things because then then I would be left with, I don't know what. And at least something that's predictable and controllable is better than something become a total disaster before I'm able to build it up again. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting. And and I'm really ready. I'm ready for all kinds of interviews and discussions. And I really love that this is a space to explore this stuff. Because another thing is technology is so new. Like we're talking about gay marriage in America being new. I mean, technology is also new. Like Instagram's new. All of this stuff is new. And there isn't really an etiquette book of here's how to use technology to make it benefit your life, but also not control your life. There isn't really that. And there also isn't really, by the way, here's how technology alters your brain. There are these these studies that's like, oh, social media impacts mental health because people compare and then they despair. And there's a lot of you know, that kind of research coming out. But even in terms of developmental psychology for children, like how does social media affect neurology and hardwiring of a brain for a kid? Like that is all so new. I'm really curious about it. And I also think that as someone who has an online presence, I feel also a little bit of responsibility for bringing this conversation to the forefront because maybe, and my hope is, that more people will have access to listening to what we have to say and be able to kind of join in and be like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Or I thought I was alone or whatever it is that comes up. I really do value this as just kind of a whole new frontier that we we don't know anything about it. It's not like one of the sciences that we're like, okay, cool, we got this, you know, and one plus one is always going to equal two. We, we don't know. And so th- these conversations are priceless to me. Yeah, no, it, it is important. I mean, we, in some senses, we like won't know for like decades, right? Until we like see the aftermath of how everything like plays out over years, but. <laughs> Which is scary considering we're all like childbearing ages. Like, like guinea pigs. I know. Stick around for part two of this discussion where we'll dive into the online portion of social media realities. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?